0: To do what God loves requires at times to do what people hate. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And you know, the world doesn't just hate what we do when we act like Christ. When we speak God's words, it also hates what we say. It doesn't want those words. It doesn't want the truth of God. It wants what it wants. Soothsayers, flatterers, smooth. Talkers. There are many ways, all familiar to us, to describe to someone who tells people only what they want to hear. This is no modern problem. One of the big challenges for the Old Testament Israelite was correctly identifying which were the true and the false prophets. Remember, they didn't have printed copies of the Bible to consult. So, when they needed to hear from God, they went to one of his prophets. And there were a lot of faker's out there. Both kinds of prophets claimed to be speaking for God and by the power of God and for the good of God's people. And even false prophets could have a gift for prophecy. Yet Some were true, bringing people God's word, and some were false, telling their supporters only what they wanted to hear. Moses instructed the people on how to distinguish between the two. First, whatever was prophesied about the future had to come true. If someone predicted a future event and it did not come to pass, they were not a true prophet of God. This alone would have eliminated all of the modern end times prophets, yet somehow they persist. But the second was this. Even if they correctly prophesied about future events, what a true prophet says could not contradict what God had said before. And this was an important test because there were gifted prophets able by legitimate or illegitimate means to speak correctly about some future events. And yet they were not speaking for God. It's evident in Micah's address. He calls them the prophets Who lead my people astray? These men were part of the prophetic class. They used the means that legitimate prophets used to discern the will of God. And they were, at least at times, accurate about the future. Later, when Micah describes their punishment in detail, that punishment will be that they'll lose all of the prophetic advantages, all access to the revelation of God. But for that to be the punishment, it means that they did previously have access to some revelation from God and that's tricky for us I think because they were prophets yet their word was false instead of leading people toward God they led them astray and that was a big deal to God that these prophets, gifted by him to help his people hear his word, instead had a deadly impact on them. In his condemnation of them, Micah observes pledges, practices, and purposes that are dishonoring to God and harmful to his people. Pledges, practices, and purpose of these. And you know, each of these are still in use around the Christian church today. Consider their pledges. They cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. They cry peace. They promise people peace. And other people, they promise destruction. They take war to them. Now, the peace that God promised to his people is conditioned on faithfulness. When God's people live in unrepentant sin, they should never presume on peace. When we are not forgiving others, when we have hidden sin, when we're protecting, when we grumble against our brothers and sisters privately, we should never expect God to give us peace. The greedy barons in Israel were doing all this and more. They were stealing from others. They were oppressing widows and children and the poor. This is not the kind of covenant faithfulness that brings God peace. But the prophets, seeing this evil in their lives and seeing no repentance from them, yet looked at them. And what did they say? peace. They knew that those who paid them did not want to hear calls to repent. They did not want to hear warnings of judgment. The stuff that Micah says at the end of this text that he preaches, Jacob, his transgression and Israel, his sin. They didn't want to hear it. Rather than protecting God's truth and protecting the covenant faithfulness of his people, these false prophets protected only their self-interests. And to the poor and oppressed, those having their land taken from them, those being put down and dismissed, they pledged war. Remember, last week's passage had that disturbing, cannibalistic description And now speaking of the false prophets, one scholar says the prophets cheered the cannibals on so long as they got their fair share of the chopped up bones. The preaching was not based on what God wanted the people to hear. The preaching was based on what the hearers could do for the preachers. You pay us well, peace, do what you want. We'll preach peace all day long. We will support and enable the oppressors in whatever ways possible. And we will work to silence the true prophets like Micah, who speak in their defense, who speak of judgment against sin, who speak of the need for repentance. It wasn't enough for them to defend the wicked. They would also pledge war to all who oppose them. And unfortunately, this kind of wickedness didn't stop at the doors of the Old Testament. There are many kinds of teaching in the church and in Christian circles today that promise peace to those who do evil and seek to silence those who speak truth and good. This happens on both sides of the political spectrum. Some on the left speak lies about newborn life, about gender, about marriage. They go to war against those who speak biblical truth on these matters. And meanwhile, on the right, some make an idol of capitalism and materialism. They care nothing for the poor, no regard for the immigrant, and they support policies and laws that guarantee justice will not be served. little better inside the church where the teaching of doctrinal heresy is rampant. People claim Christ's approval of their self-indulgent doctrines. I went on Amazon this week. I went on Christian book distributors this week to see what the best-selling Christian books were. On Amazon, I had to go 19 books into the category to find five that claimed to be Christian. You would know all of these authors' names. And do you know what? Not one of those books had more truth than error. Now hear me clearly. I'm not saying there's nothing useful in them. I'm not saying there's no truth in them. But I read or read in detail about every one of them. And I would not recommend one to you. Not one. And it was no better when I went to Christian book distributors and looked down that list. I had to get dozens of books down before I found one that had more truth than lies. All the biggest names in Christian bookstores, and not one of them, passes Moses' second test for truth. I'm not saying there's nothing useful in them. But I am saying that on balance, they fail to speak God's words truthfully to God's people. But do you know what I did find in those books? As I went down the Amazon list and I found the 5 out of 19 that claimed to be from a Christian perspective, do you know what I did find? I found exactly the same teaching as in the other 14 books. You know, the ones that didn't claim to be Christian at all. I found exactly the same message in the top 19 books. It's a message of going easy on yourself, of forgiving yourself, and not listening to the haters who challenge your behavior. It's a message that says, trust your heart and your inner voice. Indulge your desires. You know how Micah would describe these books? As books that cry peace when the authors have something to eat And go to war against those who put nothing in their mouths. The false prophets of Micah's day were also guilty of using unbiblical practices to receive God's revelation. We can tell this from verse 6. Micah uses two words, vision and divination. And those Hebrew words refer to two different practices that prophets would use to seek Omens. One was permitted by God. It was commonly used by true and false prophets. But the other was an occult practice. It was witchcraft, which God had forbidden, though sometimes he would allow it to succeed. That is, even though he had forbidden it, think of it as the ancient Ouija board or the ancient seance, he had forbidden these practices, but sometimes he would yet reveal or permit satanic forces to reveal some truth about the future through them. And these prophets in Micah 3 had been practicing both. Methods. They were willing to do whatever it took to have some prophetic vision that would give them credibility. And God's ways were not enough for them. Kids, the only way we can know with certainty what God has said is what's in the Bible. It is inspired. That is, its words are God's words. It came from God. That means it is also infallible. The Bible can only have truth because God is only truth. And that means it is inerrant. It does not teach any untruth. The Bible's teachings will never lead you away from God. Now, we can suspect things about God from what we observe in nature. We can have a sense of God's will through our own conscience. We can feel led by desires to make good decisions. That's all fine. But the only way we can know for certain that something is of God is when it comes from Scripture. There's a really important but often neglected Christian doctrine we call the sufficiency of Scripture. It says that the Bible is all we need to equip us for a life of faith. In the New Testament, Paul and Peter and Jude all write letters to churches that are in danger because they're not holding to this doctrine firmly. And nearly every one of the books and authors I found on these lists has abandoned this doctrine. It is easy to do, and we must be very careful. Do you believe that scripture is enough? Or do you think that you need something more from God? The false prophets also worked for ungodly purposes. They were not motivated by truth. They were not motivated by love of God or by love for his people. They were motivated by the purpose of personal gain. One writer says true prophets told the nation that their well-being was conditioned on their faithfulness to Yahweh. But false prophets told the people that their well-being was conditioned in their faithfulness to the false prophets. The purpose of their teaching was not to exalt God, but their favored hearers and therefore themselves. And the result, they led God's people astray. That same author concludes, true prophets mostly stand against the majority. False prophets respond to the requests of those who consulted them. And the language of cause and effect comes through quite clearly in the passage. The prophets are causing the people's sin. They're indulging their selfish attitudes. They are commending ungodly behaviors. They are proclaiming peace without repentance. Parents, we need to think long and hard about this in our own households. God does hold sinners accountable for their sin, yes, but he also holds accountable teachers who affirm rather than correct sin, who reward and proclaim peace even absent of repentance. Elders, too. The church on earth exists to paint a picture. The visible church of an invisible reality. God's true church. And when elders in the church indulge sinners without correction and repentance, we paint a dishonest picture. We harm the peace and purity of the church. We lead people astray. I was once stung by the rebuke of a man who was teaching pastors and he told us that church leaders are supposed to be the moral and the spiritual eyes and ears of the church and yet so many are willfully ignorant of God's word about charity and and marriage and property and so those churches, we, we cheerfully welcome vow breakers who withhold love from their spouses. Or, or we cheerfully welcome those who callously disregard others. And we let them in the church and we tell them it's fine, peace, peace. This is why the real effectiveness of a church's ministry is not to be found in the majesty or the variety of its programs, but in the robustness of its ministry of the word. God's word is what's relevant for every person in every time and place. God's word is what so shocks the fleshly sensibilities. God's truth is what pierces to the division of bone and marrow. And if that message is abandoned, what people find in the end is that the church has nothing more useful to say to them than what the world is saying as well. These false prophets replaced God's message with the world's. Do what you want, and you'll be just fine. And for this, they are judged. And because God is just, the punishment will fit the crime. Verses 6 and 7 are one of the more detailed descriptions of judgment in the whole book. Eight different phrases or words related to how God will cut the false prophets off from his word. Remember, their access to God's revelation is the only reason why the powerful elites in Israel are giving these guys the time of day. It's the source of their authority. It's the reason they matter. And now it's gone. Silence. Just as God ignored the magistrates when they called out for deliverance from attackers while they were attacking others, so God will ignore these prophets when they call out to him for revelation while they're ignoring God's revelation. It says instead of the light of God's truth, they will experience thick Darkness. It says their nights will no longer be filled with visions and dreams. It says that their questions, whether asked through legitimate or illegitimate means, will have no answers. And it says because of all this, their paying clients will want nothing to do with them. The seers will be disgraced. The next phrase is a really interesting one. Your translation probably has, they shall all cover their lips. The Hebrew word literally refers to mustaches. They will cover their mustaches. In Ezekiel, that act is a sign of mourning. And in Leviticus, that act is a sign of uncleanness for someone with leprosy. And here, it's a sign of having nothing to say And I think for these false prophets, all three are true. We're told today that what we should fear is being on the wrong side of history. That we shouldn't hold to these outdated and ignorant scriptural perspectives. And that if we do, we cannot remain relevant in a modern society. You can have your convictions, sure, but at some point you have to change them. That is why we have churches that are now recontextualizing. That's the word they use. Recontextualizing what God has said to make it more acceptable to our contemporaries. Is that any different than what these prophets were doing in Micah 3? Updating God's message to better fit with the times and what the people wanted to hear? For my part, and I pray this is true of you. I would rather be on the wrong side of human history than the wrong side of God's convictions. There are just too many examples, like this one in front of us, of how that ends. Cut off from God. Micah gives an alternative Notice that this passage begins and ends, verses 5 and 8, with a reference to Yahweh, the Lord. Because in this passage, Micah is doing the work of a true prophet. He's bringing God's word, even an unpopular word, to the people. And so, what is the only power and authority by which a human being can bring God's word to God's people? Yahweh's, the Lord's. He says in verse 8, I am God. Filled with power. This is a word picture. It's a direct contrast that the false prophets have been humiliated. They've been deflated. But Micah's strength, which comes from the Lord and not from the approval of his hearers, fills him up. He can speak God's truth even to those who do not want to hear it because the Lord has filled Micah, not with presumption, not with self-interest, but with his spirit and with justice and with might. That combo justice and might is often used in military context. It describes the bravery of a soldier or of an army who is willing to go face a powerful adversary. Valor is a good modern approximation. And isn't that just what was needed? People are being oppressed by their leaders. And Israel's prophets have gone to war with the ones being oppressed. Isn't what was needed a person Of conviction, who would valiantly stand up for God and for truth and for those who were oppressed. The philosopher Blaise Pascal said that justice without power is powerless, but power without justice is tyranny. These Israelites were living under just such tyranny. And it's only truth, truth that is brought forth by God's power that can avenge the oppressed and strengthen them in times of difficulty and deliver them from their trouble. I say that because I honestly hope that's the effect our worship services have on you. God calls you to go into the world With valor, to speak, and if necessary, to fight for truth, to call good, good, and evil, evil. How else can we call people to repentance and show them the glorious hope available through reconciliation with God? He calls us to defend those who are oppressed, to build up those who are put down. How else can we show them that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? This is the faithful legacy of God's true prophets. And they are built up and equipped for this task by the word of God spoken under the power of God. Many faithful believers, even martyrs who followed after the words recorded in scripture were built up by the word of God and under the power of God and went out and did amazing things to free the captives for Christ. In his sermon on this passage, Pastor Rick Phillips wrote movingly about some of those memorable saints of conviction. He said the history of the Christian church is largely written by these heroic figures empowered with the spirit. The same spirit set forth here in Micah. The same spirit available to you in the word this morning. Do you know if Polycarp? An old man, an aged bishop of Smyrna who refused to recant his faith in Christ even in the face of the lions of the Roman Colosseum. Surely you remember Martin Luther who refused to compromise the teaching of God's word even under the penalty of excommunication and death. Some of you know the story of the great English preachers Latimer and Ridley, when chained to the stake, awaiting the flames to consume them, who said today they will light a candle for all of Europe to see. The Chinese house church pastors, Alan Yuan and Samuel Lamb, imprisoned in hard labor camps for over 20 years. And do you know what they did the day they got out? They preached Christ. Where will God use you in this story of his legacy of truth? Now, I pray that he uses you in cases that are not so difficult and dramatic as these. But more than that, I pray that you will take hold of this calling, whatever it may be. In a world filled with self-serving and false prophets, those who pander to generation after generation, willing to shift their truth to satisfy whoever feeds them, instead be speakers of God's truth. (coughs) Make your concern being on his side of history. People are often praised for living with the courage of their convictions. But let's do more than that. Instead of our own convictions, may we be a church that lives with the courage of God's convictions. For they will never fail us.